Wow. Got some energy going at renovation this morning. It's good. We are indeed in a new year, indeed a new decade. It's crazy. People are calling this the raging 20s. Does that have something to do with all the anger and animosity in our world? I don't know. I think the roaring would have been good again. It's good to have you all here this morning. Grateful to see all of your faces. And it is probably fitting for me to uh, just pay a little bit of homage to uh, our dear friends at Facebook. Because knowing the times and understanding the days in which we live, and our friends get it too, they are giving us the great opportunity of uh, really preparing for another year and another decade. Maybe you've seen this in your feed as you've flipped through recently. Uh, People are calling on you to define in one word 2019 and then come alongside it with another word that defines 2020. Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. Have you seen any of these things or just my weird friends? I don't know. Wait, that'd be you guys, right? What other friends do I have, right? So 2019, one word. 2020, another word. What's interesting as you see people's responses is that there is an obvious contrast that takes place, right? There is, uh, uh, I think somebody said shingles was 2019, and uh, 2020 was no shingles. Not, no one would know who that is here. Maybe he should just raise his hand. No. <laughs> shingles to no shingles. There's an obvious contrast there. When you compare the two, there's, there's a word in 2020 that seems to describe a change that people want to see in their life. As they look back on one year and look forward to another, there's a word that they're putting out there that is going to describe a change that they want to see. So whether or not you've engaged on Facebook or not, let me just throw that question out to you this morning. As we begin a new year, as we begin a new decade, what's the one word that would describe the kind of change that you want to see this year, this decade? Maybe a more important question is, what would be one word that would adequately describe the kind of change that God would want to see in your life? So we take a break from the book of Matthew for about six weeks. We're going to walk through a series called We Shall Be Like Him. It's a series on sanctification. It's a, not a, a comprehensive look by all means, uh, but yet at least I would hope an encouraging look over the next six weeks at change, uh, change that God wants to see and will bring about in our lives. And so the first text for us is in 1 John. So grab your Bibles to 1 John. Open up to chapter 2, verses 28. We're going to read through 3, 3. Chapter 3, verse 3. 1 John, chapter 2, verse 28. We're going to read through chapter 3, verse 3. So follow along with me as we read. Verse 28 says this, And now, little children, abide in Him, so that when He appears, we may have confidence 
and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God abides forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Some of the most opportune moments that I have uh, as a father to my children come in two contrasting experiences. One is when they've really messed up big time. Right? Uh, They've disobeyed. They've been unfaithful. They've been disrespectful. They've sinned. The other moments are when they've done a fabulous job, either at home and helping or serving, showing respect, um, doing well in school, getting a hat trick in soccer. You know, whenever they've done something that seems to be bad, whenever they've done something that seems to be good, there is this wonderful opportunity that I have every time those two types of experiences or circumstances happen in the context of our relationship. My response to them is actually the same. No matter if they do good or they do bad, for lack of a more simpler phrase. I have an opportunity there that I always love to take to look at them in the midst of their disobedience or sin and say, I want you to know that I love you because of who you are. I understand what you've done and I don't condone it. But I want you to understand, looking into their eyes, that I love you no matter what. Because of who you are in relationship to me. This doesn't change that. And if they've done well, as pride may well up inside, I want you to understand, I don't love you more because of this. I still love you on the basis of who you are. Not because you've done something well. I don't love you any more, I don't love you any less, based on what you have done. I love you on the basis of who you are in relationship to me. It's one of the most powerful gospel moments where I can convey my love, but more importantly, represent to them the kind of love that God the Father has for His children. And in many ways, that's what John is doing to the people that are reading his letter. He's reassuring them of the Father's love for them. He's reminding them of who they are, of who God has made them to be, and the love that the Father has for them. Look at verse 1 of chapter 3. See what kind of love 
the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. He says in verse 2, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we see here is this wonderful new reality for those who have come to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. That they are the beloved children of God the Father. If you're here today and you know and trust in Jesus, hear the words of John, hear the words of God that speak directly to you about who you are in relationship to Him. The Bible says that you are the beloved children of God. You are a dearly loved child of God the Father. This is the great gift that we celebrate in the good news about Jesus. We talked about that on Christmas Eve. This great gift of adoption. That through faith in Jesus Christ, we are adopted into His family. We are made sons and daughters of the living God. We, just based on our identity, are children of God the Father. And He loves us on the basis of who we are, maybe more uh, better said, on the basis of who he has made us to be in Jesus Christ. He says that is a reality that you can hold on to now. That is something that, that is real today, in this moment. If you know and trust in Christ, you in this moment, right now, are a child of God, dearly loved by Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. That is your present reality. That's who you are today. No matter what voices you hear in your head, no matter what culture might say about your identity, what we see here in this passage is that God has transformed our identity in Jesus Christ. And right now, Today, in reality, you are a child of God the Father. Is there a greater gift in the gospel than that? Wasn't always the case, though. You see, a change has been made. Right? We talked about that in Galatians on Christmas Eve. At one point, we were living as slaves. Slaves to our sin, our inability to keep the law, and our disobedience. But God did something. So we think about God's love and God's making us a child. We can't think about that unless we're thinking back, looking back. In the present, we are God's children, but we look back on a definitive work that has established such a claim. That love, that work, was done in Christ. His coming into the world, His dying on the cross, and being raised from the dead. And it is our union with Him in His death and resurrection that makes this claim real and substantive. It gives it its life. And so it is indeed in Jesus Christ, in His perfect work, in His death, that we can claim a new identity given to us by God. It is in Christ Jesus, who He is and what He has done, 
that he has transformed our identity as into a child of God loved by him. That is such a wonderful gift this morning. But not only has he transformed our identity in Jesus Christ, we see that he has transformed our destiny in Jesus Christ. In many ways, we don't just look back on a past event, but we're looking forward to a future event as well. We have a destiny now, a new destiny that people have in Jesus Christ. Verse 2b, second part of verse 2 says, Beloved, we're God's children now. What we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, when Jesus returns, that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. If you go back to verse 28, and now little children abide in him so that when he appears... We may have confidence and not shrink back from him in shame at his coming. What John is emphasizing here is that, yes, we look back on a future action that has defined who we are today, but there's also a future reality that we look forward to that is just as much defining who we are today. We are a people who have a transformed destiny in Jesus Christ. And let it be known this morning is something that we can often forget, just caught up in the nine to five of everyday living, is that Jesus is coming again. Is that on your mind, the, the 5th of January in 2020? That each and every day is another step toward history that is beelining all the way to that moment where Jesus Christ returns physically, visibly. We all stand before him and see him face to face. That is our hope that we now have as the dearly loved children of God, saved by faith in Jesus Christ. We are a people marked by hope because of a transformation that has occurred in the destiny that God has given to us. The text says that when he appears, we shall be like him. We shall be like him. Right now we're the children of God. But when Jesus comes back, when we see him physically, face to face, the Bible says that we shall be like him. Why? Because we're going to see him as he is. That a visible, physical manifestation of Jesus in front of you is going to forever and radically transform you. That's the kind of person and power that Jesus is and has, that when you interact with him, when you see him face to face, you are fully and completely transformed to be like him. That's your hope. That's your destiny. And you in this moment may feel so far from that reality. It may seem so so far off that it seems like it's impossible and it won't happen. But the Bible this morning reminds us of the truth of who we are as the dearly loved children of God and where we are headed to be face to face with the risen Savior to be conformed to His very image. We shall be like Him. Our glorification to be made like Jesus that is the great hope 
that we have as the people of God. This is the vision that God has for you. This is why God has saved you. The purpose behind it, that you might be conformed to the image of Jesus. And we're told here today that that day is soon coming. When you see him, you shall be like him. That's the reason that God has saved you. Ephesians 1 tells us that, right? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. For what purpose? That we should be holy and blameless before Him. This is what God wants. He wants change for us. He wants conformity for us. He wants Jesus for us. That we would be holy and blameless before you. And so Christian, really anyone here today, do you know who you are? Do you know where you're headed? Do you know who you are? And do you know where you are headed? We're a people that belong to God. We are His children. Loved by Him. We know that is true based on a definitive past action. Because of the great love with which He has loved us. He made us alive together with Christ. Raised us up with Him. We're also a people who are hoping in the second coming of Jesus Christ to stand before our Savior, to see Him face to face, and to be changed. This is our life in the simplest and most profound explanation. So as you enter into another year, another decade, maybe this is another reset moment for you. A reorientation for you to what life is all about in relationship to God. To who you are, who God has made you to be, and where your life is going. Maybe it's a simple way to just look at all of life. It's about who I am in Christ, where I'm headed in Christ, and living in between in such a way that, that, that uh, uh, is consistent with those realities. It's all about Jesus becoming like Him. And so the question we ask is if that is the case, if this is who we are, and if this is where we're headed, how should we now live today as the children of God headed toward Christ? Verse 28 tells us, And now little children abide in Him. What John is saying is that that those whose identity and destiny are in Jesus Christ, those are the people that are abiding in Him. They're abiding in Christ. Look at what it says, verse 28. And now little children, abide in Him, so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink back from Him in shame at His coming. What is meant by abiding in Him? You may remember John using it back in John chapter 15 in his gospel. Jesus is uh, telling his disciples, abide in me and I in you. 
right? Abide in him is what John calls uh, the readers to do. It's a present verb. You be abiding in Christ. It, it denotes a continual living in a particular way. Like you're always continually, ongoing, consistently, day by day, minute by minute, hour by hour, decision by decision. Your life is, is now oriented and, and, and found to be one of abiding in Jesus, living in Jesus, remaining in Jesus, as some translations would give us. It's to live each moment, every day, every hour, in a continual, ongoing trust and dependence upon Christ. We're going to see Him, been saved by Him, loved by God because of Him, and we're going to see Him someday. Well, in between, in the now, we're going to live in a continual trust and devotion and dependence upon Him. Christ doesn't become some peripheral thing, some conceptual thing, something that we just do on a particular day, in a particular moment. No, Christ becomes all-encompassing. Our relationship to Him becomes the definitive substance about everything in our lives. Jesus, abiding in Him, knowing Him, resting in Him, trusting in Him, depending upon Him. Jesus becomes the substance of our life and our relationship with him is an ongoing, continual thing. It's always and forevermore. So the idea here is that while we have such a relationship, John is saying, cultivate that. Invest in it. Participate in it. Abide in Christ. Submit to it. Enjoy it. Really enjoy Him. I don't mean to depersonalize. Abide in Him. Remain in Him. It's this idea that some might not. Some might fall away. Some might uh, doubt His teachings. Walk away from His commands. No longer follow Him wherever He goes, whatever He says, whatever He does. Saying if, he, if you've been saved by Him, and if you're loved by Him, and you're going to see Him continually live and abide in Him, is the orientation of this year intentionally set to be defined by a constant, continual abiding in Christ? Or is Christ just secondary and for Sundays? Where is your relationship with Christ today? There's nothing more significant of a question than that. Nothing. So many goals we might have for the year. There's nothing more significant than your relationship to Jesus Christ. If it's continual, ongoing trust, dependence, it's progression, it's preparing for the day that you will see Him face to face. Where are you today? January 5th, 2020, in relationship to Jesus. He's saying, this is a command to hear, abide in Him, remain in Him, continually trust in Him, depend upon Him. Don't walk away one step from following Him in His ways, in His commands. Why? 
He says, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink back from him in shame at his coming. Again, because he's coming. We don't want to shrink back. My immediate thoughts were the the moment where Adam and Eve uh, shrink back in shame and hide in the garden because of their sin. See, when, when, when Christ returns, we don't want to shrink back in shame. We don't want to hide because we have not been abiding in Him. No, we want, to, we want the assurance of knowing and trusting the ongoing relationship that we have with Him so that when He appears, we would not shrink back in shame. Those whose identity and destiny are in Jesus Christ, they're those who abide in Him. But not only that, they practice righteousness. Look at verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Practicing righteousness. If it just means doing it, living it out. That because he is righteous, and because we will stand before the one who is righteous, because he has done a definitive work on the cross, to give us His righteousness, because He has put His Holy Spirit inside His children, who cry out, Abba, Father, who have the indwelling power of the Spirit, who now have the ability to do and practice righteousness. He's saying, do that. Practice righteousness. He says that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. You know, one might say that unless you're born of him, you can't really practice righteousness. The righteousness that is consistent with the fact that he is righteous. What I mean by that is his righteousness. You can't practice his righteousness unless you have been born of him. It's impossible. You're incapable. You don't have what it takes. It's not in you inherently because of your fallen sinful nature. And so what it's not saying is this. If you practice righteousness, then you will be born of him. That's not what it's saying. So like conjure up enough strength, try to be righteous, try to do what is right, and then God will give you the gift of rebirth. No, that is not what it is. He's saying that everyone who has been born of him, who has received new birth, the gift, who's been adopted into his family, who is loved by God the Father, who has been saved by Jesus Christ in his death on the cross, who has been filled with the Holy Spirit, those people, guess what they do? Guess what the fruit of that seed in their life does? It causes them to now practice righteousness. Or to be better said, people are practicing righteousness. Ongoing, continual, day by day. Now as the children of God, loved by the Father, saved by Jesus, filled with the Spirit, guess what? They're practicing righteousness. They do it. They live it out. All A sufficient seed has been planted into our hearts. And now that seed grows and it bears fruit. Fruit of righteous actions. So that is the wonderful news here for us. God has provided all that we need. 
to practice righteousness. So I'm wondering as you enter the new year, is this even on your mind? This year, I'm going to abide in Christ and I'm going to get at practicing righteousness. That's my goal this year. That's what I'm getting at. That's what I'm pursuing. Not just financial security. Not just a bigger 401k account. Not just the five to six vacations. Not just accolades and accomplishments at work. I'm not saying any of those things are bad. I'm saying this year, my relationship with Jesus and practicing of righteousness, preparing for the day where I see the one who is righteous. Is that, is that on your purview this morning? Those who live with this identity and destiny are those that practice righteousness. Last, we see verse 3 of chapter 3, this verse, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. I used to read that this way. If this hope is in me, it's a purifying thing. That's true. But I was confronted with my passivity as I got to understand this a little bit. Oh yeah, that hope is in me. I guess that'll be purifying me because that hope is in me. No, it's again, abiding, present, active. We do it. Right? Practicing, present, active. We're commanded to do it. Purifying, present, active. We are commanded to do it. We purify ourselves. all, All of us just got really uncomfortable. I did. Wait, no. Right? Jesus does all the purifying, right? Someone say amen. Come on, guys. We don't purify ourselves, right? Wrong. (laughs) That's the tension here. That's the tension here. Yes. Yes. No, there is no self-purifying apart from God purifying. But understand this. That with this new identity and new destiny and new ability by the Spirit of God, we are now called to and able to enter into a process of self-purification. Throwing off sin, putting on new behaviors and living values. So, yes, it is not passive. It is still a gift and it is a work of God purification But it is not a passive thing. It is something that we enter into. And so I put before you this morning, as someone who has this hope, the command to purify yourself. Seek purity. Because He is pure. And He is coming. And this is God's purpose for you. That you should be holy and blameless before you. That we talk about this transforming work of God that Jesus did long ago as if it's just some past thing. And, if, and, and this, this future work of God, someday Jesus is going to return. And we're just in the middle twiddling our thumbs. The scriptures teach that this radical event known as the death and resurrection of Jesus and this, this future of it known as the second coming of Jesus, radically transforms our everyday living now. 
It changes our identity. It changes our destiny. And it changes our living. It shapes the substance of how we live. So we purify ourselves. It's a radical idea. But our identity and destiny in Jesus Christ, that's what shapes the substance of how we live. Our identity and our destiny. And lest we get off course in emphasis here and get so consumed with ourselves, who we are, so consumed with our future, and miss the forest through the trees, that it might be better said this morning to say that it's not our identity and destiny in Jesus Christ, but it's really who Christ is and the hope He provides. That's what shapes the substance of how we live, right? Because a call to abiding is really a call to living out our union with Jesus. A call to righteousness is only making sense insofar because He is righteous. A call to, to purification, it really only makes sense in reference to the fact that Jesus Himself is the definition of purity. He is pure. He is righteous. We are found in Him. That it's Jesus' identity. It's who Christ is. It's the hope that he provides for us as the people of God that shapes the substance of how we live primarily. Yes, that impacts our sense of identity and our sense of future. But it's really about Jesus. And so if you want to know the, the, the answer to the question, what is the one word that would accurately describe the kind of change that God wants to see in every single one of his people, it's just Jesus. It's Jesus. That's what Jesus, uh, that's what God has for us. Jesus. And, and I'm just going to confess to you, it is easy for me, even in the midst of ministry, constant interaction with the scriptures, trying to live out my vocation, to totally lose sight of Jesus. And I wonder if you do too. Lose sight of the joy and the love and the hope that we all have in Jesus Christ. To lose sight of who we are because of Jesus. To lose sight of where we're headed to see Jesus. To lose sight of what life is now. It's about abiding in Jesus. Practicing a righteousness that, that is in Jesus. Purifying ourselves in the purity of Jesus. Can Jesus, who he is, his nature, and the hope that he provides, can that be the thing that shapes the substance of our everyday living? Lord, let it be so for me, may it be nothing else. And I tell you, as, as one of your elders, and I know I speak on the behalf of the rest of them, that this is our labor for you. This is what we genuinely want to see in your life, in your marriage, in your work. It is Christ. 
This is our hope for you. We labor in teaching and preaching because of the hope set before us together and our progression down the road to the moment where we all stand before Christ. We are never content with where you currently are because we know that God has so much more for you as you are sanctified and conformed to Christ himself. This is what this church is all about, what it stands for. Jesus, his purpose, his work, his his sanctification of his people. So as we turn to a new year, see the vision of Christ-likeness. We shall be like him. Let's pursue that today. Jesus, conformity. Obedience, abiding, practicing, purifying. Let's give ourselves over to the work of sanctification, becoming like Jesus. I don't know about you, but that captivates me personally. That brings so much purpose and meaning to life. Why am I alive? I'm alive to become like Jesus. I'm alive to represent Jesus. And yet, I must admit as well that I can easily become overwhelmed by the journey. Because again, I think about the nature and essence of Jesus Christ. And I think, man, I'm so far off from that. The thought of continual abiding. Man, I just want a break. That's what you might be thinking today. I want a continual anything. Unless you're talking about Steelers victories. It's a sad year. I don't want to continue anything. I want to break. I want to be rescued. I'm weary. I'm worn out. And you're calling me to practice. I just want to scroll through Facebook. I just want to break. You're telling me to purify myself? Yeah, right. You're tired. You're weak. You're weary. You're worn out. And this feels so overwhelming. Is that you here this morning? Let me just tell you, that's me this morning. Captivated by the vision. But I feel like the the mountain is so high. The purity and the righteousness of Jesus is so beyond me. You feel that today? I can't reverse engineer a process to get there based on my own abilities and strength. I don't have what it takes. Do you have what it takes? I don't have what it takes. So I'm at the bottom of a mountain wondering, with my eyes up high, where does my help come from? And Psalm 121 tells us, I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the Maker of heaven and earth. God knows your weakness. God knows your need. He sympathizes with it. He provides sufficiently for it. And he is right by your side. Every step of the way. All the way up the mountain. He is your help. He's going to give grace to you. As you trust in him. As you seek him on the journey. Of becoming like Christ. He's provided all that you need. He sanctified you. 
He's sanctifying you, and he will glorify you as you trust in him and submit to his purposes. He will help you every single step of the way. You are not alone. You may be weak, but in him you are strong. You may be incapable, but in him you are more than able. You are more than a conqueror through Christ. So it is my prayer that the Lord would strengthen you and encourage you and reassure you of his constant provision of grace for every step of the journey. That you can lift your eyes up to the hills. You can ask, where is my help? But you can have the answer that your help comes from the Lord, the very maker of heaven and earth. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk more specifically about how God helps. How does God help? Next week, Jeremy will be talking about he helps by his spirit. The role of the spirit in sanctification. Then I'll be talking about the role of the word in sanctification. We'll look at the role of God's people, the local church. In your sanctification. That's how God helps. The local church. And last we'll be looking at. Suffering. Trials. Difficult circumstances. Those aren't obstacles. To your growth. They're the very opportunities. That God uses. To bring his purposes about. That's how God helps. The pathway to glory. Is down the road of suffering. But today, rest in this truth that our identity and our destiny in Jesus Christ shapes the substance of how we live. Let's pray together. Great God in heaven, we hear these truths and we're reassured, we're encouraged, we're reminded, we're inspired. This is a work of your spirit in us. I pray that everybody here this morning would have their eyes reoriented to Jesus Christ. That they would enter into a new year, a new decade, really with no change in priority. 2019 would be Jesus, 2020 would be Jesus, 2021, it's always Jesus. But yet a renewed commitment to live out this very love that they've received, this new identity and this new hope. I pray that you would give your people here the strength to abide, to remain in Christ. Pray that you would give your people the, the strength to practice righteousness. Pray you would give your people the strength to purify themselves. Because you are pure, because you are righteousness. You are righteous. Lord, continue your work. Use this time, this series, for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together. <clears throat>